0: Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. This episode we are reading the first few chapters of The Ranch Girls and The Silver Arrow by Margaret Vandercook. Daughter of Joel Mayo Womack and Nanny Gibson, O'Bannon, Womack, she was born in Louisville, Kentucky, where she attended both public and private schools. In 1900, she married John Filkin Vandercook, who later became the first president of the United Press Association. He died in 1908. Margaret Vandercook did not become a professional writer until after her husband's death has since been described as the queen of campfire writers, writing 21 campfire novels under her own name as well as the pseudonym Margaret Love Sanderson. The pseudonym of Margaret Love Sanderson was also used by Emma Keats Speed Sampson, author of the Miss Minerva books. In addition to the Campfire Girls series, Margaret is also known for her other Girls series books which include the Ranch Girls series, Red Cross Girls Series, and Girl Scouts Series. She was also a member of the Louisville Kentucky Authors Club. If you enjoy our program, please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ underscore media underscore podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the SLEEP channel on Spotify, The Ranch Girls and the Silver Arrow by Margaret VanderCook. Chapter 1 The Silver Arrow For girls were leading their ponies along the narrow defile. On either side of them arose tall cliffs. Overhead the sky showed a deep warm blue. A stream of water flowed along, ending in a small lake at some distance ahead. Absurd to have undertaken such a trip today of all days, Jeanette. Why keep up the pretense that we are not lost? As we will find our way home eventually, ordinarily I should not mind, but to be late this afternoon may create a situation that will be difficult to explain. Nonsense, Lena. What does it matter? I for one do not care if we are not at home when father and our new stepmother reach there. I hope to be polite, but I won't pretend enthusiasm. What was the line of poetry we were trying to recall when we followed this new road down into the canyon?" asked Jeanette, wishing to divert her older sister's attention. We were dreamers dreaming greatly in the man-stifled town. We yearned beyond the skyline where the strange roads go down. The other girl repeated with a slight note of self-satisfaction. One so often feels this in remembering what other people have forgotten. The four girls were daughters of Jim Coulter of the Rainbow Ranch. His first wife had died, and he had married Jacqueline Ralston Kent, a former ranch girl much younger than himself, and was returning to the ranch with his bride after the honeymoon. The oldest of the girls was about 15 years of age. The next fourteen, then twelve and eight. We have pursued a strange road. We seem to have descended into the heart of the world. Yet we were scarcely stifled at the ranch, the third girl exclaimed with a half whimsical, half wistful smile. I feel as Lena does that we should reach home as soon as possible. We left a little after daylight and had we not taken this road down into the canyon would have been there an hour ago. Still, it has been a wonderful experience. I did not know there was a canyon in this part of the country that we had not already explored. Lena Coulter turned. Are you tired, Ida? If you wish to ride, I can lead both our ponies. The youngest of the four new ranch girls shook her head. Named in honor of Frida Ralston, who had been the youngest of another group of ranch girls some years before, Frida Coulter, more often called Ida, looked and was as unlike in character to the other Frida as it was possible to imagine. Slender and small, she had straight dark hair, deeply tanned skin, with a bright crimson in her cheeks and lips her eyes instead of being black, as one might have expected from her other coloring, were a light blue such as one sees in old China. With her lashes down concealing the blue of her eyes, there was something about her that suggested an Indian. She possessed the grace and lightness of carriage of one who has lived always out of doors, and a peculiar liveness as if she were rarely tired. Jeanette Calter laughed. The second of the girls, she was the moving spirit of their adventures as Jacqueline Ralston had been in the past. Her hair was a light brown with obstinate waves. She wore it cut short in order that it should be less troublesome. She had grey-blue eyes, a short nose, a clear fresh skin in which the color came and went swiftly in answer to her moods. Her mouth showed a firm line unusual in so young a person. Veya, you are more apt to be weary than Ida. You do look a little used up, child. Suppose we sit down and rest a while when we come to the edge of the enchanted lake we saw ahead of us a few moments ago. Although it has disappeared, I am sure we shall discover it again as soon as we pass on the other side of this cliff. Jeanette remarked. She and Vaya were especially devoted to each other. Vaya, or Olivia, to give her her full name, did appear more frail than her sisters. She had fair hair and dark eyes and a gentle manner. Lena, short for Jacqueline, the oldest of the four girls, was studious and reserved, not giving her affection easily, but deeply devoted to a few persons. Jeanette had made no mistake. The path along the edge of the cliff became steeper and more difficult to follow. Then turning the bend, the four girls uttered exclamations of delight. Sheer embankments of stone hedged them in on three sides. Moving upward toward the far horizon was a single, little-traveled road. Here, at the bottom of the canyon, like a sapphire set amid diamonds, a little lake appeared in the midst of hollowed out stones. Jeanette, who had been in the lead, dropped down first, making a cup of her hand. I am sure this water must be fresh and pure. How can it be otherwise in such a place? Suppose we drink first and then let the ponies drink. Afterwards, we must eat the few sandwiches we have left and be merry. If we do not see father in our new and reverend stepmother, Jeanette made a little grimace before bedtime, why, the misfortune is four times more her own than ours. It does seem absurd for father to have married someone so much younger than himself. He was her guardian, as we know, years before his marriage to our own mother. Personally, I don't believe in second marriages. Jeanette's attention was now demanded. She held the reins of the two younger girls' ponies while they satisfied their thirst. Five minutes later, the four girls were seated in characteristic attitudes about the edge of the small lake. The ponies, glad to enjoy a brief rest stood tethered to the forks of bushes that grew out of what seemed solid rock. Olivia was leaning her fair head against Jeanette's strong young shoulder, a wistful droop to her figure. Jeanette sat upright, her white teeth closing firmly on a sandwich. Her grey-blue eyes were looking down into the heart of the water. A strange mixture, Jeanette. She possessed an adventurous outdoor nature and yet now and then was oddly given to dreaming. More intimate with her father and more his companion in the management of Rainbow Ranch than any one of her sisters, Jeanette resented his marriage more than the others. I wish, Jeanette dear, that you would not feel so unhappy over the future, Vianne murmured. The two girls had special names for each other that only a few outside persons employed. After all, father is the person to consider. If he thinks that it is best for us to spend this summer together at the ranch making friends with our new mother, it need not last forever. If you wish, you and Lena someday can go away to school. Ida and I will be able to survive, I suppose although it will be hard. Olivia leaned over and let her slim hand sink into the bright water. Although Jeanette was his most devoted friend and companion, three of the four New Ranch girls believed that Vea was their father's favorite child. There was an appealing quality in her gentleness and lack of self-reliance. Ida, the youngest, was possessed of an odd temperament. She did not seem to care for affection. Never, even when a baby, had she permitted anyone to treat her as one ordinarily treats a little girl. Not only had she objected to caresses, she did not wish to be amused. Her own projects and ideas were sufficient entertainment. Hours at a time, she would play alone, hiding, if need be, from the other girls. They would find her swinging her thin legs from the high rafters of one of the barns or climbing one of the tall cottonwood trees in the road that led to the old Rainbow Lodge. Here the first four ranch girls lived before the discovery of their wealth in Rainbow Creek. After building the new house, Frida Ralston, now Mrs. Henry Tilford Russell, had christened it Rainbow Castle. Really, Jeanette. There is no reason why you should be so prejudiced against our new stepmother. Dear me, what shall we call her? She did not wish to be called Lady Kent after the death of her first husband when she returned to live at our ranch, Lena argued. Jeanette shrugged her shoulders. Rainbow Ranch isn't ours. Kindly remember. Of course, father now owns a large share of the land, but the rest belongs to our new stepmother and the former Rainbow Ranch Girls. She will never accept the fact that we are the present day Ranch Girls and I think will always insist upon occupying every position of prominence. As for what name we shall call her by, I intend to say Mrs. Coulter. I must either say that, or Jack and Jack is hardly a respectful title for one's stepmother, whatever one's inward feeling. Jeanette Calter attempted to speak lightly, yet there was in her voice and manner and intensity of feeling that suggested shoals ahead. You have no right to frighten or prejudice the younger girls, whatever you may feel yourself, Lena whispered in an undertone. I wish I disagreed with you more completely then I would have more influence. In my heart of hearts, I feel almost as uncomfortable as you do," Lena added. What a queer mix-up of a family, said via father, is at least a third older than his new wife. The new wife is a little more than twice as old as we are. There is only one thing we seem to have in common, and that is affection for the old Rainbow Ranch. In any case, I do hope we may be back at home before the travelers arrive. They were not positive at what hour they would reach home tonight. As if the matter concerned her but little, Jeanette Coulter yawned. Then her expression softened and she rested her cheek on her younger sister's head which still pressed against her shoulder. Oh, Olivia, you will keep the peace or do your best. You will help now and then, Lena, when you are not too interested in your stupid old books to know what is taking place in the world. Ida, and I probably will create the difficulties. If I am sent away from the beloved old ranch sooner than the rest of you, sorry as I shall be to leave you, don't shed tears for me. It may be I shall soon prefer to be away. Suddenly, Jeanette sat up abruptly. Veya raised her head in quick surprise. At least there is one thing for which I am truly thankful. We are to be spared for this summer the presence of our new stepbrother. He is one of the most objectionable boys I have ever known and named for father and father his guardian as well as other things. Oh dear, it is too mixed up a family skein for me to unravel. Jeanette protested, Heavenly as this small lake is, lying amid its guard of giant stones, don't you think we should be wending our way upward and onward? Lena inquired, Once out of this defile, we shall know the direction we should take for home. Perhaps we shall reach there by dark, or if not there is a moon and a straight road over our own prairies, so what does it matter? Jeanette glanced upward, the other three girls following her example. The first sunset rays had dropped down the western slope of the cliff, lighting it with strange and beautiful colors, mauven rose and gold. No sounds could be heard save the four young voices and the restlessness of the four ponies who were beginning to demand to be taken home. Suddenly, as if from out of the sky itself, there appeared a small object. Downward, straight as a plummet, it plunged into the surface of the water not far from where the four girls were seated. Instinctively four hands were thrust forward. Jeanette's hand drew the object forth. The tip had been broken by striking against the hard bed of rock, and yet it was plain that the oddly discovered treasure was an arrow made of some dull metal. Jeanette held it up for the others to observe. The arrow glistened with an unexpected radiance. Reaching out for it, Lena, who was slightly nearsighted, held it closer to her eyes. The arrow is of silver, I believe. From whence could it have come? Who could have shot a silver arrow down into this hidden ravine? Oh, I presume it belongs to you, Jeanette, as you were first to find it. Jeanette shook her head. No, the arrow is no more mine than yours or Via's or Edith's. I simply chanced to be nearest the side of the water where it fell. Well, I have something to suggest, Via remarked dreamily. Suppose we take the arrow home and keep it always. When the day comes that one of U.S. does something braver or better than the other, she is to possess the silver arrow until another earns it in the same fashion or until someone claims it. A beautiful suggestion, Vaya. But come, we must leave this enchanted lake. At least we should manage to arrive at home by bedtime. A few moments later the four western ponies with their riders could be seen moving upward along the narrow trail. Chapter 2 Under Changing Skies The moon was shining in a clear sky when Jim Coulter, the former manager and one of the owners of the Rainbow Ranch, and his new wife returned home. They had been married quietly about six weeks before in the presence of the family. Immediately after, they had left the ranch to spend their honeymoon camping in the Canadian Rockies. Tonight, they were riding slowly along the familiar road which led from the railroad station to the front gate. This opened into the avenue, thickly bordered with cottonwood trees forming the approach to the house. On horseback, the riders were close beside each other, although rarely speaking. Finally, the woman gave a faint sigh. How many times we have taken this self-same journey to the old place, Jim? Now once again, I come back home after a fashion a new person and to a new life. First, the headstrong, self-willed Jacqueline Ralston whose childhood and girlhood were spent here. After my marriage to Frank Kent, a bride returning to visit her former home then my widowhood with my small son, Jimmy, at the Rainbow Lodge. Now, the crowning honor of my varied career, I return as Mrs. James Coulter. Jack, who never would be known by any other name to her family and intimate friends, laughed in the half-teasing, half-serious fashion with which her companion was familiar. Characteristically, she put up her hand to her head to remove her small traveling hat hanging it on the pommel of her saddle. This is much more comfortable and I feel more like myself. Surely we shall see no one tonight except the four new ranch girls. I wonder how much they are going to dislike me, Jim, in my new character. I don't fancy I shall be a great success. In the moonlight, the woman who was speaking looked far younger than the middle-aged man who was her husband. As a matter of fact, Jim Coulter had been a grown man when Jacqueline Ralston was a young girl. In those early days when out of nowhere he appeared to assist her father in the management of the Rainbow Ranch, nothing could have been farther from his imagination or from her own than a marriage between them. Jack's golden brown hair held the same lovely shades and was arranged in a close coil about her small head. Her skin was more tanned than usual from the six weeks in the mountains following endless trails by day and sleeping at night under the stars. Her figure was as slim as ever and she sat her horse with her accustomed ease and grace. Oh. I presume the girls will have some welcome arranged for our arrival. As our train was several hours late, I telegraphed ahead. But, child, do spend less time in worrying over your success or failure as a stepmother. We have given too much attention to the question for the past six weeks. The new ranch girls are wise enough to know in what luck they are playing. They may not be as grateful to you as I am, that is asking more than one should expect. What troubles me is not your role as a stepmother, but as the wife of a man as old as I am. Looking back now, I often wonder how I had the courage for our marriage. 1 Courage Jim, what a word to use! Yet, of course, I realized that it must have required courage to marry me. Jean and Olive and Frida, your three other ranch girls of long ago, often have told you how much courage it would require. But on this night of our homecoming, I did not expect to be reminded of it by you. By the way, will you please be kind enough not to call me child in public? You did the other day. I can bear the title now and then in private, but in public, it reflects on the dignity I am afraid I never have been able to acquire. Now with four new daughters, I really must learn to become a different individual. Jack rode nearer. Her horse leaned its head as if to confide in the other horse cantering quietly beside it. Jim, I was thinking of something just now, something real she whispered, I don't know whether I ought to say it. Remember the marriage ceremony says for better, for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health? You and I have been through these experiences together as friends. Remember how poor we were in those old days before gold was discovered in Rainbow Creek? There was my long illness and the trouble we had in trying to keep the old ranch from being stolen from us. 2. Never mind all these reminiscences, Jack, it is the future I am interested in at present, not the past, Mr. Coulter remonstrated. One more promise you must make me. Promise never to interfere in my effort. The girls must either like or dislike me. I must win them myself, or never win at all. Jack half arose in her saddle, pointing ahead. See the lights of Rainbow Castle there in the distance. She was as excited as if the house to which she was returning had not been her home in girlhood. It was true that she was coming back in a new character. Wife of her former guardian and stepmother to his four young daughters. Her companion obeyed her suggestion. Across the fields, they beheld lights glimmering from a number of windows. They were still half a mile away. Unconscious of what she was doing, the reins slackened in Jack's hands. Aware of this, and with the knowledge that his stable was not far off, Unexpectedly, her horse broke into a swift canter. As she felt the swing of his feet under her, the wind from the prairies sweeping across her cheeks, and the fragrance of the purple clover in her nostrils, the new Mrs. Coulter laughed aloud. Instead of drawing her reins and pulling up, she touched her horse lightly with her whip and sped more swiftly ahead. At the same instant, there was a rushing and a patter of many hoofs across a nearby field. Their manies flying, graceful and beautiful in the moonlight, their slender noses sniffing with curiosity and pleasure, half a dozen maras followed by their young colts raced close beside the rider. Her companion followed, half amused and half protesting. He had no fear. No one was more at home on horseback than the girl he had taught to ride so many years before. She was now his wife. At the door of their home, Rainbow Castle, Jim lifted Jack down from her horse. Ordinarily, she would not wait for his or anyone else's assistance. Tonight, as her horse stopped, she had a sudden feeling of oppression. She did not desire to go indoors. Often she had felt this after a long ride. All her life she had loved the outdoor world more than the four sides of a house. Tonight she had another reason. She was dreading to meet the young girls who were her stepdaughters. She had known them before in the year she had spent with her son, Jimmy, at the Rainbow Lodge yet there had been no intimacy between them. She was not particularly sympathetic with young girls and had been busy with her own affairs. They had been friendly, but she never had tried to understand their different dispositions. At the time, her own sister, Frida, who was now Mrs. Henry Tilford Russell, had been living at the big house with her husband and little girl. Jean, her cousin and a former ranch girl had kept house at Rainbow Castle for Jim Coulter and his motherless daughters. Frida and Jean not only understood the new ranch girls better than she did, but were more admired and loved by them. Even then, Jack realized that they did not enjoy her friendship with their father, which had ended with their marriage. If the sound of their arrival was heard inside the big house, No one came to the front door to open it for the homecomers. Jim Coulter unlocked the door and he and Jack entered. The drawing room was lighted and the door partly open. Stepping forward, Jack pushed it farther apart. Inside the room four girls were seated. One of them was curled up on a long sofa, a book in her hand. The leaves had fallen together as if she were asleep. Another figure, the smallest of all, was almost lost in an immense upholstered blue chair. Her black hair made a contrasting spot of color against the blue. Her eyes were closed and the little figure was drooping with weariness. Her cheeks were a deep rose. Seated beside each other on low stools close together were two other girls who slowly arose at Jack's entrance. They were Jeanette and Olivia Coulter. Jeanette's face was pale and her lips closed firmly together. Her gray-blue eyes looked darker, her uplifted nose more mutinous. The fairer, gentler girl beside her appeared equally grave, if less unfriendly. Crossing the room, Jeanette held out her hand stiffly to the newcomer. Her father had delayed his entrance, thinking it might be easier for them all if his welcome came later. I am sorry we did not hear you arrive. You must have come on horseback. We thought the car was to be sent for you. We have been riding ourselves all day and got in very late. Lena and Ida, as you see, are asleep. At this moment, the oldest of the four new ranch girls opened her eyes and rose. Plainly she was endeavoring to appear more enthusiastic than she felt. She too shook hands. The new stepmother dared not ask that any one of the three girls welcome her more warmly. She was leaning over to kiss the youngest of the four girls when Ida slipped from her. With a swift movement of intense affection, she flung her arms about her father. At this moment, he had entered the room. The next, the new stepmother found herself standing alone while the four new ranch girls were rejoicing over him. Chapter 3 The Dawn All night, Jeanette had been unable to sleep more than half an hour at a time. Never in her life before could she recall such an experience. Tired after their long excursion and the finding of the silver arrow, the excitement of meeting her father and the new stepmother, she had expected to fall into a sound slumber as soon as her head touched the pillow. This had not happened and now it was dawn. Getting out of bed, Jeanette walked over to a window. Her room, which she occupied alone, was at the back of the big house. The view showed the carefully tended kitchen garden, the stables at some distance away and beyond the long sweep of their own fields. One could catch a dim outline of a distant rim of hills. The window was open. Thrusting out her head, Jeanette drew in a deep breath of the sweet morning air. No one else on the place was yet astir. Yawning, she glanced toward her bed and then outside again, which called to her most. She was sleepy and yet felt she would be unable to sleep. A ride before breakfast perhaps would put her in a better frame of mind to meet the new day. She dressed quickly in an old riding suit of blue corduroy. Outside her window, there was a long tangle of heavy vines supported by a lattice and twisting about the posts of the porch. Wishing no one in the house to know of her departure, Jeanette crawled out of her window and clambered carefully down to the porch railing. This was not her first descent. By her own efforts, the vines had been arranged to form a kind of natural stepladder. Outdoors she hurried off to the stables. Here she saddled one of the ranch ponies. Her own had been too wearied by the long journey the day before. She was about to ride away when she observed someone else slipping out of the house alone. She looked not a great deal older at this distance than Lena. Jeanette recognized that she was the one person she did not wish to meet and talk with at the present time. Without a sign, she hurried off. Not until she was a mile from home had she a sense of freedom. Her stepmother she knew to be one of the most famous writers in the state. Jeanette's fear had been that she might follow and ride with her. She turned into a little-traveled bridle path. On ascending from the ravine the day before the four new ranch girls had found themselves not so great a distance from home as they feared. Near the ranch was an opening into the ravine which must for years have been closed with a thick tangle of underbrush. Of late someone had thrust the way through. If she were pursued, Jeanette's idea was to hide behind the shrubs and thick sage bushes until she could safely emerge from shelter. This was unnecessary. Instead of concealing herself, she rode on a mile or so more. She planned to be back in time for breakfast. The morning was too lovely to waste now that she had given up the hope of sleep. Leaving the path Jeanette set off across an open field. Overhead, the western larks were soaring and singing. The early spring wildflowers had gone, but the summer hedges of wild roses were in full bloom. A few trees dotted the landscape, carefully planted and tended by the ranchmen. The pungent odor of the eucalyptus tree An occasional scrub pine and tall bushes of sage alone broke Jeanette's view of the country. Her pony swerved sharply before an object in his path. Jeanette looked quickly down. Lying on the ground in a comfortable, relaxed position was the figure of a boy about fifteen years old. He had been asleep, but now sat up, looking indignant and rubbing his eyes. Your horse nearly ran over me. Why, you might have killed me, he protested angrily. Without intending to be disagreeable, Jeanette smiled. The following instant, she slid off her horse. I am sorry to have alarmed you. Please explain to me why you are lying here in one of our fields asleep at this hour of the morning? I don't think we have seen each other before. Perhaps you are visiting one of our neighbors? Jeanette's sense of humor conquered her good manners. This time she laughed aloud. Visitor or no visitor, why was he not in bed if he wished to sleep? Seated in his disconsolate an attitude and wearing as aggrieved an expression as if he had been a child, Jeanette beheld a tall thin boy with light hair curling close about a high, blue-veined forehead. He had blue eyes, a well-cut nose. It was his mouth, Jeanette decided, which gave him the infantile appearance. The lips were full and pouting as a spoiled girl's. I am glad you consider me amusing, he replied a little sullenly. I am not sure whether I am a visitor or whether I have to live for some time in this plate Western country. I'd almost rather be dead than stay here many months. There is nothing to see, nothing to do. I feel as if I were a thousand miles from anywhere. Jeanette glanced upward. The sun had risen and was shining in the full golden glory of early summer morning. The fields planted in alfalfa or in grains were purple and green, the rolling prairies were velvet swords, the edges of the desert lines of silver. Awake and about the business of their day were droves of sheep and cattle. Not far away young colts were frisking about their mothers. On this occasion, Jean showed no indication of laughter, instead she frowned. A straight line appearing between her dark eyebrows. What an extraordinarily stupid and rude thing to say. To get up off the ground, you look so absurd. Isn't that your pony grazing over there? I had not noticed before. By the time you ride back to your friends, you surely will wish your breakfast. I only hope you are not so rude to them about their part of the country as you have been to me. I adore the West and everything about our ranch lands. Goodbye, I must be off toward home. Starting to turn away, Jeanette felt the skirt of her dress tightly clutched. Surprised and angered, she swung around she discovered that her new acquaintance had risen to his feet and was blushing hotly. I beg your pardon, I did not intend being rude. Please do not go away at once. I don't suppose you have ever known what it means to be desperately homesick, so homesick it makes one actually ill. That is the way I feel at present. My home is in New York. I have never been anywhere else except once to Europe and to our summer place on Long Island. My father is dead and I am the only child. Before I have been with my mother always. This summer for some strange reason she decided to go to Europe and not to take me with her. She said I was growing older and needed to become more manly. As my health has not been good, the doctor advised I be sent west to live outdoors and ride and fish and hunt. I hate every outdoor sport. I am staying with Mr. Stevens, Peter Stevens. He is a lawyer and an old friend of my father's. They went to school together, I believe, so dad made him my guardian. I don't like him either. If he had not come east on a visit and said I was growing up a mollycoddle, I should not have played in such poor luck as to be cast out here to live in the desert. Why, there isn't a theater, or a shop, or a human being worth looking at. Oh, I say, I do beg your pardon honestly this time. Won't you have some candy? The boy put his hand into his pocket and drew forth a small box of French chocolates. Perhaps you will tell me your name and let me tell you mine? Jeanette shook her head. No, thank you. No candy at this hour of the morning. I confess I love it far too much at other times. Oh, I'll tell you my name gladly enough. It is Jeanette Calter. This is our ranch, the Rainbow Ranch. Mr. Stevens is a friend of my father's and my new stepmother's. Unconsciously, the girl's expression changed to one only a little less gloomy than her companion's had been a short time before. At this, he whistled sympathetically. Have you a stepmother? Is she new or have you had her some time? I tell you, I never mean my mother to marry again. I have told her any number of times how I should hate it. She has promised never to marry without my consent and that she will never receive. You strike me as being extremely selfish, Jeanette contemplated saying and then desisted. After all, her new companion was only expressing the sentiment she felt. Her wishes had not been consulted. You have not told me your name, she remarked more amiably than she so far had spoken. Cecil Perry You won't like it. Mother prefers that people pronounce Cecil in the English fashion. Jeanette shrugged her shoulders. Oh, very well. I never heard the English pronunciation before. Goodbye once more. Mr. Cecil Perry, I would ask you to tell Mr. Stevens to bring you to call on my father and sisters and me, and oh, yes, on my stepmother as well, if you did not find everybody in Wyoming so tiresome. Again, the young fellow flushed, I told you I was sorry. I don't understand why you pretend to be an angelic character. One can guess from seeing you that you often say and do the wrong thing. You have a lot of temper. If you were homesick in New York, I should not be half so disagreeable to you. Jeanette was annoyed by the truth in the strange boy's speech. She was also pleased that he was possessed of more spirit than she had suspected. Why not ride home to breakfast with me instead of waiting to have Mr. Stevens bring you? I shall be delighted not to have our breakfast this morning, a strictly family affair. Chapter 4 At Breakfast When Jack, the present Mrs. Jim Coulter, came out of the house a few moments after the younger girl, she was not aware of Jeanette's departure. Observing her on the way to the stables, she had no thought of following her. In fact, Jack distinctly recalled the days when, as one of the original Rainbow Ranch Girls, she had made just such early morning escapes from her family and the problems that troubled her. Already she was aware that among the four new Ranch Girls, Jeanette would probably be her chief problem if she were to succeed in her determination to make friends her husband had assured her otherwise. Jeanette always appeared easy enough to manage, provided one did not interfere with her tastes too seriously. She was boyish and frank and fond of the outdoors, a little as he recalled Jack herself to have been. If she were willful now and then, she was seldom sullen. Always she was quick to forget an unpleasantness. Jack had not the same impression. Not knowing Jeanette intimately, yet the year she had spent at Rainbow Lodge had afforded her a better opportunity for observing Jeanette than any one of the other girls. Rarely ever with any degree of amiability, Jeanette and her own son, Jimmy, had spent a good many hours together. If they did not especially like each other, they had the same interests. Jeanette was what old-fashioned persons once called a tomboy. She loved to ride and climb, fish and shoot, often excelling Jimmy, who was younger. Jeanette had never been particularly sweet-tempered with Jimmy. Wanting her own way, she was apt to be difficult when opposed. From the first Jack had seen that Jeanette resented the boy's affection for his guardian who was now his stepfather. More she resented her father's devotion to the only boy in the family. If she could be jealous of this relation, how much greater her resentment against a stepmother with such a strong claim upon her father. There were breakers ahead. Her husband had insisted that Ida. The youngest of the four girls might be a trial. He never had understood her. A little more than a baby at her mother's death, she had been a shy, strange little person, thinking her own thoughts and living her own life with little regard to anyone else. Yet the thought of Ida did not trouble the new stepmother. Ida was young, was devoted to her older sister and there was time enough to watch her character unfold. Jack had a shrewd idea that Jeanette had her own way with her sisters more than any of them realized. Lena was studious and calm in temperament. Her interests were more in books than in the outside world. She seemed to love peace and quiet in order to pursue her own tastes. She would be inclined to surrender to Jeanette on some occasions because she was indifferent on others to avoid argument. Olivia, who was the gentlest of the four girls, with a wistful, imaginative quality, was under the spell of her next older sister's more active personality. Without walking any distance from the house, Jack watched Jeanette right away. She sat her pony fairly well, But more carelessly than Jack herself approved of. She had no idea of writing before breakfast. She had come outdoors to walk for an hour about the place and watch its awakening. She went first to the Rainbow Creek where gold had first been discovered. There was little work going on at the mine at present. Ralph Merritt who had married Jean, her cousin, had accepted an engineering position farther west. Jack regretted the fact that no one of the three other original Rainbow Ranch girls would be at the old ranch during the present summer. She and her husband had decided this would be wisest. The others had agreed. Frieda's husband, Professor Russell, having completed his scientific experiment, did not desire to remain longer at the ranch now that Peace, their little girl, was in better health. Olive and her husband, Captain Brian Macdonald, had returned to England taking Jacqueline's own son, Jimmy Kent, to visit his father's people. Returning to the house, Jack found her husband dressed and outdoors searching for her. I thought perhaps you might have run away, Mrs. Coulter you know you have in times past." Jack shook her head. Never really run away, Jim, only for a few hours or at most a day at a time. Now that I have grown elderly, I suppose I should give up even such short breaks for liberty. If I ever do again, please remember that I shall always come back to you. What are you intending to do before breakfast? Jack made no mention of having seen Jeanette ride off a half hour before, not knowing whether it would meet her father's approval. I am off to the ranch house to see the men before they start to work for the day. If I wait until after breakfast, they will have gone. I shall ride out after them later. Jack laughed. Glad to be at home and at work, Jim? A honeymoon is hard on a man, isn't it? No, I won't go with you. I am going into the kitchen for coffee. I want to be here when the girls come downstairs and to preside properly at the breakfast table the first morning of our homecoming. Don't be late. Jack kept her eyes fastened on her husband for a moment after he turned away. She was aware that many persons felt their marriage a mistake. Devoted as they were to their guardian, Jean and Olive, the two former ranch girls had hesitated. Only Frida, who so rarely approved of anything her older sister thought or did, had been openly pleased with Jack's marriage to their former guardian. Jim has always been the one person who could make Jack do what she should. Frida had argued in a tone of relief as though her own responsibility were partly lifted. Entering the room for breakfast some little time later, Jack wore a cream-colored muslin dress with brown shoes and stockings and a brown satin belt. She had a lace kerchief about her throat which seemed to give her a properly domestic and elderly appearance. Three of the four new ranch girls were waiting and appearing more friendly than the evening before. Evidently they too had put on especially pretty morning dresses in honor of the occasion. Jeanette was not present. Either she had failed to return or else did not wish to come to breakfast until it was actually announced. Jeanette has disappeared. I hope you won't think she is rude if she does not get back in time for breakfast. She really should have known better than to be away the first morning of your and father's return," Lena apologized. Ida, in a pink starched frock with her black hair and a stiff halo about her face, looked like a slim princess in a fairy tale. She condescendingly allowed herself to be kissed. Lena only shook hands, but Olivia put up her lips in a sweet and natural fashion which gave her new stepmother a sensation of satisfaction and relief. Small wonder that the grave, gentle girl was the favorite of the entire family. Seeing her father enter at the same moment, she moved swiftly toward him and heard him whisper, If everybody were like you, Vea. This would be a lovelier world. Where is Jeanette? When her absence was explained, he appeared more annoyed than the other girls were accustomed to seeing him. I think Jeanette might have postponed her ride a few hours this morning. As he spoke, steps were heard approaching and Jeanette entered the room with an unexpected companion, a tall, fair boy. She looked flushed and excited. The young fellow appeared pale and weary. The truth was that Jeanette had raced across the fields in order to be at home at this moment, unmindful of the fact that her companion knew little of writing and found it extremely difficult not to be left behind. I have discovered a new neighbor, father, said Jeanette. Introducing the newcomer first to him and ignoring the presence of her new stepmother. To her surprise, Cecil Perry stretched out his hand. Is this Mrs. Coulter? I know you cannot remember me, but I met you several years ago. How glad I am to see someone I have met before.